Welcome to Neighborly. Walter goes for a walk. House number two, Little Street. Let's forget all that business from the last house, shall we? We're moving on now to bigger and better things. Or smaller and quieter things. More quaint, fuzzier happenings of house number two. The residents of house number two are really not the sort to notice any kind of mysterious shouting and pleading for help that might transpire in the house adjacent. Walter... The smallest resident is far too preoccupied with his own busy life to be distracted by any hullabaloo from the neighbours. He knows nobody lives on one side, and some people live on the other side, but his range of understanding excludes what is behind the walls of others' houses. He minds his business. And what a business it is! He has quite a complicated life for someone so small, you know. One wonders how it all fits in his head. The man who is charged with looking after Walter tends to be asleep. He has been curled up on the armchair in front of the embers of a dying fire for a while, but that's all right with Walter. More space to think, to consider, to ponder, to suss things out without full-grown busybodies messing around. Walter started his day by coming down the stairs on all fours. He went into the living room and saw that the man was still asleep and so was the fire. He jumped up onto the armrest of the sofa and ran along the back of it like a ninja mite, or a spy. When he reached the armchair, he patted the man's face curiously. His head lolled to one side, drool poured out of his mouth. If Walter were the type to roll his eyes, he might have done so. He left the room instead. Walter was almost not strong enough to open the fridge. He was almost not tall enough, either. Indeed, he had to clamber onto the counter to push the door open. He was lucky it was a short fridge. He remembered seeing really tall ones in a catalogue, and had no idea how he might have had to wrench those open if left to his own devices with one. His push was a little zealous this morning, and he heard a crash from inside the fridge that made him jump. When he was once again sure nothing was going to move without him moving it, he pushed the top of the fridge door again with a little more care. It spilled out pearly milk on the floor like something terrible had happened. Walter tried his best to avoid the broken glass while he drank it up. It tasted wrong. Once he had breakfast, Walter liked to go out and explore. Since he wasn't the best at closing doors, he went out the back and hopped to the side fence. Walter liked to patrol Little Street. 
There were lots of interesting things to see. He would walk past his own house, past the one next to it where nobody lived, past the other houses, some of them nice-looking, some really rather nasty. Walter didn't like to go too far. While on Little Street, he knew, it is best to avoid places where birds flock. And if you go far enough, the sky is nearly black with them some days. So he kept the first dozen or so houses, patrolling up and down and seeing what there was to be seen. Perhaps the word normal doesn't really fit around the curves and edges of Little Street. The word typical might suffice. All was largely typical on Walter's route. The curb where the footpath fell into the road could be very steep in places, and he liked to imagine it was a cliff, and he was a daring adventurer when he jumped down. Sometimes people would see him do this, and they might stare at him or even call him over. He tended to run away when he noticed them. He already had a person, the man in the house. He didn't need to be looked at or called after by people on the street. Though he was aware, he might look like he needed help. His hair was tangled and rough, and there was a chunk missing out of his ear. But that wasn't his person's fault. His person was just asleep. People need sleep. Walter shook the worry from his mind. He went back in the direction he came, passing his house, passing the first house on Little Street with its neatly gnomed front garden, going out into the wider world. Once out of Little Street, Walter felt confident about jumping at birds and trying to catch them. He might have looked foolish, jumping into the air and thrashing about at the birds who only really responded by moving higher. Though it should not be the concern of smaller creatures to alter their behaviour based on how foolish it might seem. It is their duty to act foolishly, to leave matters of gravity and seriousness to those of us more vertically gifted. He came this way because he knew he might get a treat. There were people out this direction who considered him cute and scratched to try and loosen the mats behind his ears. One of them came out the back with some boxes for the bins. Her hair was short, and her face had the blush of exertion, though it always did. She smiled tightly when she saw Walter. Hello, Petal. He did not approach her directly, but kept close to the walls. The most delicious smell was floating off her. Still, though he saw her often, he had never seen his person meet her, and she was therefore a stranger. Someone to be cautious of. I don't have a treat for you today, I'm afraid. Something was wrong. Walter didn't say anything. He has been told that he is an excellent listener. He sat beside this person and kept her company while she folded over and cried. <laughs> don't would have liked you, she said. It's a pity you didn't start coming around until... Yeah, right. Yeah. It's over now, anyway. She sniffed. Walter walked away from that building with a little lunchtime treat for himself, like he knew he would. He stopped on the blistering black car park. It was an unusually sweltering day to have some of it. There was a rustle in the bushes. Walter! The muzzle poking out was pointed and russet and lined with a jagged sierra of teeth. The eyes, which Walter knew to be round and green, were hidden behind the foliage. Toby? 
Come here. Walter wanted to protest this, as you might as well, dear listener, upon hearing any voice ominously whispering through teeth from the other side of a hedge. But those who knew Toby knew not to protest. Those who knew Toby knew that luck followed those who followed him. So Walter stepped forward. What is it? What have you got there? Treat. Toby snarked a single laugh. Who's treating you? A nice lady. Walter gnawed on the meat, excessively nonchalantly. Right, okay, whatever. I'm gonna bring some folks over to the house today. This made Walter indignant. It's not the house, it's my house. Certainly, whatever. We'll be having a conversation. A conversation? That was interesting. When Toby had a conversation that meant new ideas, influential friends, and food. But still, Walter did not want to seem too eager. What's the conversation about? Toby grinned. There's an argument in your neck of the woods. We want to resolve it. Walter peered into the shadows of the hedge. What's in it for you? What? Can't I take a concern in what happens in my locality? You are overly suspicious, Walter. I didn't expect the world to do this to you so quickly. Walter felt the hot bulb of shame blossom in his chest. You can come and bring your folks... Stay away from my person. He's sleeping. When people sleep, it's because they need to. So let him do it. It's important work. Toby scoffed, but agreed. All was set and ready. Walter wandered back home. The kitchen tiles were still star-studded with glass shards from the milk bottles. Poor Walter did not feel confident enough to pick them up. He took the magazine that had tumbled through the letterbox a couple of days ago and pushed it around the floor so that the glass looked a little more intentional and tidy. He was going to have guests, after all. After his nervous energy drove him around the house in circuits three times, Walter settled back into the living room on his person's lap. He felt his head thicken and grow heavy. He felt his eyelids droop. That's when he heard the doorbell. He dragged himself out to the hallway and looked up through the warped glass squares in the door. There seemed to be no one out there. And, as I believe I have already mentioned, Walter was not exactly confident in his skills in opening and closing doors. He plodded through the kitchen to the back door and opened that instead, mewling a yell to let whoever it was know that there was an opening. A bird flew into the house. Walter's immediate instinct was to jump at it. But he knew that it was best to exercise the most caution when it came to the birds of Little Street. One could never be too sure what kind of bird it was. It perched on the curve of the more elaborate light fixture in the kitchen and eyed Walter with something like... Impatience? It is difficult to read expressions into the faces of birds. Walter tried not to look at the bird, but it was difficult. It had its head turned so that its right eye bore into him, as though it were punching out pieces of him for samples. It felt unsafe to be looked at like that, but it felt silly to hide. The doorbell rang again, and Walter was about to meow at the back door for whoever it was to come round when Toby strode in. Behind him, there was a grizzled old stranger whose wiry black hair was electrified with streaks of white. Bags swollen with wakefulness tightened the buttons of their eyes. 
Toby smiled at Walter with too many teeth to be reassuring. Walter, this is Beck. They will be helping us with the dispute. Hello, Beck. Beck grunted in acknowledgement. Toby looked up. I see one party has graced us with a representative, and the other is late. The bird cawed so softly Walter thought he might have imagined it. It's not unfortunate. This should give us some time for the rest of our jury to make their appearances. Not everyone can fly, after all. The bird relaxed into its perch. Perhaps it does not get a lot of time to simply sit with itself. I wonder what it's so busy with. It spent the next hour preening as all manner of beasts and creatures waltzed their way around to the back door of house number two and into Walter's kitchen. He tried to make it known that they should leave the sitting room with his sleeping person in it alone. He tried to quell their rambunctiousness. He tried to enlist the help of Toby, or Beck, in quieting them. But Beck only grunted, and Toby only smiled and said how nice it is to have a gathering. The crowd were hushed by Toby's gesture when a rubbery salamander wriggled through the door on its belly. Nice of you to finally join us. The bird flew up higher on the light fixture. The salamander rolled out its worm tongue and blew a raspberry at it. The gaggle of onlookers exploded into a tittering uproar. Walter was about to start pleading with them again to please keep it down when Beck silenced them with an aged authority that was far less shakeable than their voice. What is the conflict here? The bird tilted its head curiously. The salamander scoffed and began an explanation, but it sounded to Walter's ears like like a cartoon, like a puppet's voice, like the air squeaking out of a balloon, like a high-pitched wireless radio show that's been all garbled up and painted over with pink gloss, with the occasional bubbly bloops that could only be compared to a notification noise. Beck awed and grumbled affirmatives politely while edging in with the beginnings of their own sentences, only to be interrupted by more salamander warbling. Eventually, they were able to speak. Seems to me that your problem is largely invented, contrived, furious. Is it an act? For what purpose? This set the murmuration stewing again, rising cacophonously so Walter became even more concerned about his person in the next room. But he felt so grown up being here, in this room, in this moment. All of the people who held sway over everything in his life were here. All of them. All of Toby's associates. Toby. Toby. Where was Toby? He was suddenly not at Beck's side. Walter caught sight of a flash of ginger through the frosted glass of the door to the hallway. The crowd converged in his field of vision, bustling in response to something or other that Beck had said. Walter tried to wriggle through them. He felt his ears burning. He should have just said no. He managed to push through the other side and jumped to try and pull down the handle. He missed the first time. On the second time, his grip slipped like he was made of water. On the third try, he mercifully found purchase and the door swung open. It opened inwards, and he had to be quick so he didn't get crushed against the wall. The hallway was empty of Toby when he got through to it. 
Walter looked back into the room to confirm that Toby was indeed gone. The crowd seemed engrossed in the slow arbitration of Beck, and perhaps that was the point. They lulled, and the salamander warbled, and the bird sat back in its perch cocksure. It was a deeply entertaining affair. Walter skirted towards the living room door. Unlike the door to the kitchen, it was a flimsy cardboard thing. There was already a Walter-sized hole near the bottom of it. He squeezed through, wriggling to get his legs in and yelping to try and stop whatever was happening inside. Toby was circling around his sleeping person, ignoring his cries. Every so often he would stop and open his jaws around an arm or a leg. By the time Walter squeezed through the door, he had evidently decided on the head. "'What are you doing?' Walter cried. "'Do you mind?' "'Yes, that's not yours!' Toby looked down at Walter's person and barked at a chuckle. "'Oh, Walter,' he said. "'Yours, mine. You have such a human view of things. If something benefits you, you ought to take it, especially if you're the one who benefits others.' Among Walter's fatal flaws is a somewhat childish need to understand what he sees. This doubly applies to individuals for whom he has a great respect, no matter how begrudging. What? Think of it this way. Toby's eyes glittered like a set of stolen emeralds. I have brought a lot of good into your life, wouldn't you say? Walter assented, more to prompt him to continue than out of any actual agreement. So if there's something that will serve me, make me stronger and more cunning and increase my power, surely that benefit will in turn produce greater results for you. Walter frowned. I don't know if that's altogether right. Oh, do tell. Well, if I have something in my house that gives me power, surely having me use it would give me more benefit than giving it to you in hopes you might use it to help me out of the goodness of your art. Toby smiled, very patiently. No. What is it, anyway? What is what? The thing that gives you power. Toby looked at Walter like he wanted to sigh deeply, and nodded down at the sleeping form of his person. This. Walter yelled. Do you eat alive things very often, Toby? Another barking laugh. This isn't a live thing, Walter. How long has it been laying here for? Years? Humans do not sleep for that long. Your person is dead. Dead. And I have seen along this street many examples of this kind of food bringing humans great power. So if you wouldn't mind, I do mind. But Toby ignored him, once again opening his jaws over the neck of his person. Something coiled tight inside of Walter, a spring-gathering tension that released explosively when he jumped and slammed his tiny body into Toby's side. Toby yelped and almost lost his balance but did not fall. He snarled and made a move to bite at Walter, who was just about to dodge out of reach when Walter's person sat up ramrod straight in the chair. This was, understandably, a bit of a shock to Toby, and indeed to poor Walter. The pair of them flinched. There was a moment of stillness while the person blinked away the sleepy bleer. And then he looked around. Christ! There's a dirty great fox in my living room! Toby lunged at Walter, and Walter's person jumped up with a yell that made Toby change course for the door. He sent a kick in Toby's direction, but Toby was too quick for it to connect. He slammed against the front door, and when it did not open, he turned and lunged for the kitchen, where Beck was still droning over some minutiae of social graces regarding disputes. 
When Toby ripped through the crowd to the back door looking like he'd seen a ghost, the gathered crowd did not require convincing to stampede out of him. Walter's person stepped into the wrecked kitchen. Oh, Walter, he sighed, taking in the broken glass, the loose stander drifting on the air, the stench of animal bodies pressed close together. What did you do? Walter could only press himself against his person's shins, mewling out cries, rejoicing the return and mourning the time lost. Oh, don't worry, buddy, there, there, it's all right, I can sort this, it's okay. I know we'll cheer you up. Let's go for a walk. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's House was written and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Cloudy Appleart. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.car.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend, because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend. And who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's final crossword clue was, we saw it in a dream, and the answer will come to you in the twilight of sleep. Probably. You'll have forgotten it by morning. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. What is there to look at outside, except for everything we see all the time? I'll go in. No way. So, this is my dead man's lock? What the? Hello? Aurora Everlasting. Find us on the podcasting app of your choice.